1: It's been 3,119 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February twenty seventh, 2014, and 201 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, The situation is so dynamic because of the counteroffensive in Kharkiv, Izum, and Kherson, it's likely that our report will be out of date within the hour. But at some point, we have to hit publish. So let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, the Russian Ministry of Defense appears incapable of stabilizing the situation in Ukraine, announcing they will not be sending recently created combat units into the theater. Second, We maintain our assessment that as the situation for Russian troops in Kherson worsens due to supply issues and conditions, forces will seek to surrender, with multiple reports of at least some units already negotiating. Third, the impact of the defeat in Kharkiv is reverberating across the entire battlefront in Ukraine, with Russian units now demoralized. Fourth, we maintain our assessment that the Russian military in Ukraine is combat-destroyed, and the russian military has no meaningful way to respond to the ongoing collapse with their available resources fifth there is now a small but noteworthy risk that as the quote special military operation fails the putin regime will be at risk of political upheaval that could result in government changes and finally we maintain that the risk of Russian terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure in order to break morale is exceptionally high and will remain so for the foreseeable future. Let's go ahead and get some regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. Rumors continue to swirl about the impending surrender of some Russian troops located east of the Inulets River and west of the Dnipro. Operational Command South, or OCS, clarified that junior officers, captain and below, have been negotiating actively to surrender units under their command. It is impossible to determine if this represents platoons, companies, or battalions because the officer ranks are so depleted that a junior officer could be commanding a battalion. Russian units between Davide Bryd and Novopetrivka are likely facing a growing supply crisis after weeks of interdiction by Ukraine, not just over the Dnipro, but along the ground lines of communication, or g those are supply lines, that lead north into the region where the heaviest fighting has been ongoing. The impact on Russian morale theater-wide after the defeat in Kharkiv is likely impacting military capabilities across Ukraine. Russian state media, mill bloggers, and the Ministry of Defense have had little to say about Kherson over the last three days. Yaroslav Yanusevich, the administrative and military governor of the Kherson Oblast, reported that looting within Kherson City was increasing, along with filtration of residents suspected of supporting pro-Ukrainian efforts. The Ukrainian government is maintaining tight operational security, and there was significant cloud cover over Ukraine blocking information from NASA fire information for resource management systems or firms. Pro-Russian social media account Rybar did not mention Arkhangelsk in their report after insisting during the days before the Kharkiv offensive that Russian troops were clinging to the southern edge of the town. Yesterday, Russian sources reported the loss of control of a village in northern Kherson, the OCS reported that the Ukrainian Air Force struck Russian positions in Novopetrivka. OCS reported that Russian forces attempted two significant offensives, both using a full company. The first was in Bezimen, advancing from Chekolov, which was unsuccessful. We adjusted our war map slightly based on this information, pulling the line of conflict to the northern side of Chikolov. The second was an attack launched on Ternovipody from Zeleny High. Based on this information, we coded Zeleny High and Barvinuk as recaptured by Russian forces. In their PM report, Pacific Daylight Time, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported an attempted attack on Novochryorivka, Mystery Oblast, forcing us to make a best guess due to the lack of any other information. It's possible they could have meant the Novogryorivka in Kherson, where a Ukrainian offensive is pushing in that direction. However, the one in Mykolaiv is directly northwest of Ternovipody and in the direction of the Russian advance. We've coded Ternovipody as contested and moved the line of conflict to the northwest, and will await further clarification. If this were the Novogryorivka in Kherson, it would represent an almost 10 kilometer breakthrough and Ukraine threatening an alternative G-lock into Velika Oleksandrivka. The status of the Kherson suburb of Kiselivka on the critical M14 highway is unknown after troops from the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, abandoned their post. It further indicates collapsing morale among the 25,000 to 30,000 Russian troops west of the Dnipro. In Kherson, Russian state media continued to ignore operational security, sharing a video of a single SUV navigating the remains of the Antonovsky Bridge. I'm sure you know what happens next. Several hours after the video was released, 10 rockets fired from HIMARS hit the structure to, quote, make sure it is unusable, end quote. Explosions were recorded in Novakokhovka, but overall the intensity of Ukrainian rocket attacks using HIMARS was diminished. There was a report that Chechen forces, which have an increasing presence in Ukraine, set up a base of operations within the community center of Pavlivka on the east side of the Dnipro. Pavlivka is out of HIMARS range in theory, but we shall see what happens. Insurgents attempted to assassinate Tetsyana Tomelina, a Russian collaborator in Kherson and the rector, which is maybe kind of like a dean, of the occupied Kherson State University. Tomelina is reported to be in serious condition along with two other people, and her Russian-assigned bodyguard was killed. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and northern Zaporizhia. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, reported that a second backup power line was connected to the Zaporizhzhia nuclear power plant, the ZNPP, in Enerhodar. Additionally, Director General Rafael Grossi reported that the cold shutdown of Reactor 6 was successful, reducing the power demands on the plant if it becomes fully disconnected from both circuits again. Grossi also reported that Russia is no longer blocking all discussions on creating a demilitarized zone around the ZNPP, saying during a press conference, quote, I have seen signs that they are interested in this agreement. What I see is two sides that are engaging with us, that are asking questions, lots of questions, end quote. Grossi said the stumbling blocks are the size of the ceasefire zone and the role of IAEA staff. Russian forces hammered Nikopol, Markhanets, and Cervonohryurivka with artillery and Grad and Urugan rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS. Sixteen apartment buildings and private homes were damaged in the attack, but there weren't any casualties. Now to the Donbas region, starting with southern Zaporizhia. There was only sporadic artillery fire along the line of conflict from the Donetsk-Zaporizhia administrative border to Huliapole, to Orkiv to Mali Ukrainian collaborators in Melitopol who received Russian passports have been placed on a non-travelers list and are not permitted by Russian troops to leave the city. In southwest Donetsk, the updated Russian objective is to maintain existing defensive lines, Push Ukrainian forces out of artillery range of Donetsk city and bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. Our favorite FSB colonel, wanted war criminal and Kremlin pariah, Igor Gherkin Strelkov, added additional confirmation that Ukrainian forces were pushing elements of the exhausted 1st Army Corps east, moving closer to crossing the Minsk II negotiated border from Novobakhmutivka. DNR military leaders continued to channel Soviet World War II General Zhukov's ghost, using a combination of heavy artillery fire followed by light infantry advances toward Vodjana from the airport in Vesele. Without success, DNR forces attempted to advance further into Marinka and toward Novomikhailivka using probing attacks and reconnaissance in force. Russian-controlled Makhivka was hit by a likely HIMARS strike on what may be a fuel depot based on the appearance of the fire. Russian forces fired Uragan rockets from MLRS or made a missile strike on Mykolaivka that was caught on video. The strike landed in a residential area and did not produce a fire or secondary explosions. Russian social media accounts and mill bloggers continue to insist that Ukraine is gathering a significant force in the vicinity of Vulidar for a future offensive. Russian artillery stepped up activity after a lull yesterday, firing on Mikilsk, Prechistivka and Vulidar. In Russia-occupied Donetsk, the gasoline and diesel fuel crisis continued, with lines stretching hundreds of meters at stations where fuel was available. After the Russian defeat in Kharkiv and rumors of a Ukrainian advance on Donetsk, panic buying caused a supply chain disruption. Areas closest to the line of conflict are seeing the biggest shortages. While power continues to be restored in Ukraine after Sunday's missile strikes, the same can't be said for Russian-occupied Donetsk, where 63,700 customers are still without power. In Bakhmut, the updated Russian objective is… well, you know what, it's (laughs) honestly just… it's really unclear at this point. Russian forces led by the Private Military Company, or PMC, Wagner Group, fought positional battles on the outskirts of Bakhmutska and Bakhmut. No progress has been made, and many analysts are now calling the attempts to capture Soledar and Bakhmut a pointless offensive. Some assessment here. In early April, the Russian operational plan was to move south from Slovyansk and north from Bakhmut to encircle Ukrainian forces defending Severodonetsk and Lusychansk. That was scaled back repeatedly until mid-June, when the focus became capturing the Twin Cities. With the collapse of the Russian military in Kharkiv and the loss of Izum, the capture of Slovyansk and Kramatorsk are out of reach. PMC Wagner has led the attacks on Bakhmut in an attritional battle that hasn't gained much territory in 45 days. The Russian Ministry of Defense had previously announced that Russian regular troops would take over the offensive operation, but that hasn't happened. Colonel General Alexander Lapin has been in command of this sector and, despite taking over all operations in Ukraine, has not refocused military efforts on other axes. It's improbable that Russian forces can capture Solodar and Bakhmut, and implausible that if they were, they could establish administrative control. After reports that Ukraine tried to push Russian proxy forces out of the eastern part of Solidar on Sunday, there were no reports of fighting for control of the beleaguered city by either Ukrainian or Russian sources. Pro-Russian sources appeared to confirm that Ukrainian troops were victorious in pushing Russian forces back, reporting, quote, positional battles south of the city, end quote, near the Naufjips sheetrock factory. This would support the GSAFU report of fighting in Bakhmutske. Russian forces attempted to advance on Zaitseve, southeast of Bakhmut, and did not move the line of conflict. Fighting continued for control of Mikolaev Druha, with no change in the situation, and Kadirovites with the 141st Akhmat continued to fight for control of the train station in Mayorsk. Ukrainian ballet soloist Oleksandr Shapoval, who volunteered to fight for Ukraine, was killed outside Mayorsk during the recent fighting. In northeast Donetsk and Luhansk, Russian forces continue to control Lyman with confusing reports on the status of the now strategic town. Russian and Ukrainian sources made claims ranging from Ukrainian forces have entered the settlement to the action being limited to artillery duels. Unfortunately, Major General Cloudcover provided outstanding operational security, blocking satellite imagery and NASA firms data from our analysts. The unaffiliated pro-Russian journalist organization War Gonzo reported from Lehman in a video that matched current weather conditions. Recording from the main entrance of the city, they stated that fighting was contained in the surrounding forests. Now, a 52-second video does not serve as definitive proof of no fighting, but the news crew was exposed and appeared relaxed. Concern was growing in Russian circles with seato liberated and little opposition between Ukrainian forces and Novoselivka 7 kilometers to the east. If Novoselivka is captured, Russian troops in Leman could find themselves in a complete encirclement if Ukraine controls Yampil, which is unclear. Some sources report that Ukraine made a successful wet crossing at Zakitne and was moving to strike Leman from the east. In order to do that, Ukrainian troops would have to pass through Yampil and establish a stable G-lock to prevent becoming encircled themselves if it all goes wrong. Some assessment there is a lot of fog of war here, both figuratively and literally, and we can't make a firm statement on the situation. We do, however, agree with the assessment that Russian troops in Lyman are at a high risk of finding themselves encircled. Pro-Russian accounts reported that Ukrainian forces were advancing on Bilohorivka in Donetsk, and there were reports that Chechen forces in Spirna were fully encircled. We can't confirm the veracity of these reports— but they are not coming from a single root source, which does add weight to their validity. Russian millblogger Murs, who has been as reliable as The Sunrise, wrote that Ukrainian troops had successfully crossed the Seversky Donetsk River into Belohorivka in Luhansk. This would fit with military best practices of establishing three wet crossings along a river when possible, with Ukraine holding bridgeheads in Belohorivka, Zakitne, and Karavan. Murs claims that Ukrainian forces are advancing from Bilohorivka toward the T-1302 highway. Sidebar, if this is true, this is rubbing salt in an old wound, as the beginning of the overall Russian defeat can be traced back to the absolutely disastrous river-crossing attempt at Bilohorivka in May. Shifting to assessment, Ukraine appears to be following Russia's strategy to capture Severodonetsk and Lysychansk, targeting Lehman, the critical high ground along the T-1302 highway at Bilohorivka and the T-1302 highway junction outside of Lysychansk, Serhii Haidai, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Russian troops had fully withdrawn from Kremina and Staroblisk while Russian troops were returning to Svatov. Haidai has been engaged in intentional psychological operations, or PSYOPs, to create confusion within the Luhansk Oblast for Russian forces, so we're not sure if these reports are accurate. Congratulations, Mr. Haidai, you are doing a good job. Pro-Russian accounts have reported that Kremlin has been all but abandoned and claimed that Russian troops were headed back to Svatov, indicating these claims may be Haidai's source. Some assessment? We maintain the Russian occupation of most of Luhansk is now at risk of collapsing with the fall of the Azum Axis and Ukrainian troops actively operating across the Siversky Donetsk River. Finally, a quick note about War Gonzo. Yes, we have respectfully but mercilessly torn into their coverage for the last six months, and we barely consider the organization journalists. However, they operate outside the RIA sphere and have rejected official Kremlin messaging. While their leader, Semyon Pegov, is risk-averse and has been caught making fake combat videos, we have witnessed their journalists reporting while under fire. There is a kinship among conflict journalists, and our chief content officer has dipped more than a toe into domestic and foreign conflict zones, so there is respect. Today, the RIA blocked Wargonzo in Russia for violating the so-called don't-say-war laws. This shows an incredible level of desperation within the Kremlin to control the narrative. No one wins when there is state censorship. That's the truth, and the truth matters. Even if Wargonzo is 30-40% to 40% truth, they provide a lot more facts than Kremlin-approved messaging through the RIA.
0: You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent
1: News. Moving on to the Kharkiv region, Russian and Ukrainian sources confirmed that Russian troops have fully withdrawn from northwest North and northeast of Kharkiv. Kharkiv itself was not struck by artillery, rockets, or missiles for the first time in weeks. When Ukraine started the northern Kharkiv offensive in June, there was a six day period where bombing stopped. We believe Russia will renew punitive attacks on the city once they stabilize the front. Russian missiles did strike a college in Lozova, causing massive destruction, killing one and wounding six. Russian troops also shelled Udi from across the border. After 200 days of occupation, the Ukrainian Territorial Guard and medical services arrived in Riznikov, just a few kilometers from the northern tip of Kharkiv Oblast. There is video, and we can't recommend watching this video enough, of villagers running toward the dirt road that cuts through the village, cheering, clapping, weeping, and yelling, Slava Ukraini! The link is in our full situation report on Patreon Ukrainian troops also arrived in Kozachalopan northwest of Kharkiv near the border of Russia, and received a similarly warm reception. A large forest fire erupted northwest of Sidiaki, just west of Kharkiv. There wasn't any indication if this was related to sabotage, a failed missile strike, or natural causes. The city was not in danger but the smell of wildfire smoke hung in the air. A Ukrainian reconnaissance team traveled through the eastern part of Kupiansk and found the area empty, with abandoned Russian military equipment in the streets. There is video which was geolocated and matched current weather conditions. Some assessment here. We are very reluctant to play armchair generals because, I mean, we aren't retired generals. This area is incredibly strategic due to the railroad yards and the high probability of abandoned Russian military gear and ammunition. If we were to play armchair general, what's mine is mine and the eastern half of Kupiansk is now mine. That's what we would do. The first evidence of Iranian drones in use by the Russian army was discovered in Kupyansk with the remains of one of the kamikaze drones found. There are reports the acquisition of the Iranian drones was a dud, suffering from poor performance, a high failure rate, and being overly complex to use. During the war's opening days, a Russian Su-30 multi-role fighter plane was shot down over Kharkiv. Ukrainian forces found the remains of Red-62, and, amazingly, Russian troops never went to the crash site to clear it of sensitive materials. Guys! Ukraine got its hands on a dented but otherwise intact RTU-518 PSM self-protection jamming pod. The version found at the crash site was modernized in 2014. If you're wondering if that $13.5 billion in military aid Ukraine has received so far was money well spent, we're confident that U.S. intelligence will be able to get a very close look at the Russian technology. We had previously mentioned that Svyatsohirsk had been liberated. Still, no information has been shared about the historic monastery and the up to 500 people that remained there during the Russian occupation. However, a video showed people freely kayaking on the Seversky Donetsk River by the destroyed bridge near the monastery. The situation is described as tense on the east side of the Oskil River, which is still under Russian occupation. Local officials report that a massive disinformation campaign has started, claiming Ukrainian troops were doing mass executions and looting. It is reported that water, electricity, and natural gas have been out in the Russian-controlled regions for four days. Ukrainian collaborators who received Russian passports and tried to flee were prohibited from crossing the border. Some returned to the area, while others traveled to Svatov and Staroblisk. Russian administrators brought teachers and, quote, child welfare teams from Russia into Kharkiv Oblast for the start of the 2022-2023 school year and abandoned them during the retreat. Additionally, some Ukrainian teachers traveled to Russia to be taught the Russian-based educational curriculum, which erases Ukrainian history, culture, and language. Potentially hundreds have been captured— and face an uncertain future of up to 27 years in prison. As civilians, they are not afforded protection under the Geneva Convention and are not treated as combatants. Distraught parents are telling Ukrainian officials that some of their children were taken to Russian, quote, summer camps to move them away from the war zone and were never returned. The status of their children is unknown. Family members reported that Russian Lt. Col. Krivov Pavel Viktorovich, the commander of the 137th Guards Airborne Regiment of the VDV, was killed in a Ukrainian ambush near Izum on September 9. He is the third lieutenant colonel confirmed killed or captured during the five-day offensive that cleared most of the Kharkiv oblast. It also indicates that the Russian military is short of senior officers where a lieutenant colonel would typically be a battalion commander. The British Ministry of Defense reported that Russia's First Guards Tank Army, the most elite armored force explicitly chartered to fight against NATO and defend Moscow, has been destroyed after six months of battle in Ukraine. We had repeatedly assessed that the First Tank Army was mismanaged on the Izum Axis, frequently engaging in battle without the support of light infantry and no air support. It will take years to reconstitute the army, yes, army, and the loss of the experienced tank crews can never be replaced. The staffing situation for the First Guards has become so dire that a Russian prisoner of war told Ukrainian military officials he was initially a sailor from the Baltic fleet, who was given only one week of training and then sent to the Azum front as a tank crew member. Ukrainian administrators and civil engineers are starting to move into the recently liberated areas to support the civilian population. The first goals are to re-establish food deliveries, provide drinking water, and evacuate people who need medical care or live in damaged and unstable housing. Officials would prefer to evacuate all citizens as fall has already come to Ukraine. It's unlikely that electricity and natural gas services can be fully restored and guaranteed during the upcoming winter. Additionally, Ukraine wants to process back payments to pensioners as quickly as possible. The Russian Federation never fulfilled its promise to integrate retired Ukrainians into its pension system. Ukraine is already symbolically re-establishing normalcy in the liberated regions, with a post office reopening in Balaklia. More evidence of war crimes has been found, with residents of recently liberated Zaliznichny telling investigators that Russian soldiers executed civilians in the opening days of occupation. Investigators found four bodies, three buried in their yards and one more at an asphalt factory. All four showed preliminary signs of being tortured. To the north, in the Chernievin Sumi region, Russian forces fired artillery into the Esmen and Shalahin Romadas in the Sumi oblast. Dmitry Zhivitsky, head of the Sumi oblast military administration, reported there were no casualties or damage. And south, in the Black Sea, Crimea, and Odessa region, on Sunday, a Russian Su-25 ground-attack aircraft taking off from a Russian-occupied Crimean airbase suffered a malfunction and crashed, almost certainly killing the pilot who did not eject. It was the second aircraft lost by Russia in less than a week due to accidents and mechanical failures. An Su-34 multi-role fighter crashed on the northern tip of the Crimean Peninsula late last week. Some assessment here. We believe that the Russian Air Force suffers from critical part shortages due to the high operational tempo, demand for pilots, and of course international sanctions. We'd previously assessed that the withdrawal of Russian aircraft away from forward-operating bases would put additional stress on pilots and airframes. And now for some updates on developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. The Russian Ministry of Defense announced they would not be dispatching new military units to Ukraine, which likely includes the currently forming 3rd Army Corps. The Russian Ministry of Defense admitted in an internal statement quote, The current situation in the military theater and distrust for the high command forced a large number of volunteers to flatly refuse the prospect of service in combat conditions. End quote. FSB Colonel Strelkov suggested in a series of cryptic telegram posts that the Russian Ministry of Defense has decided to stabilize the existing front and attempt to re-establish attritional warfare with its existing force. An unamused Strelkov was dooming hard, accusing Kremlin officials of living on the, quote, planet of pink ponies. Some assessment here. He's so close to realizing that Russia does not care about Ukraine, the Donbass, or the people in Donetsk and Luhansk, but he just can't seem to accept that reality or connect the dots. It appears he lives somewhere between the planet of Pink Ponies and Earth. Finally, a report from Morganzo that likely brought the RIA hammer down indicated that Russian soldiers have to pay to learn how to operate drones in the combat zone. They claimed that soldiers are being charged from 15 to 180,000 rubles to become drone operators and have the privilege of being shot at by Ukrainian forces, stating, quote, We believe that in wartime, when there is a catastrophic shortage of specialists and drones on the battlefield, training should be completely free. End quote. An editor's note here. But that would cut into oligarch profits, which corruption, I'm sorry, which can't happen. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone.